And as was stated in the book, Freedom to Choose, again, it says that it's time for us to quit trying to change the Bible to fit our theology. Instead, we should change our theology to fit the Word of God. And we're living in a day and age today where men and women are in consternation and in turmoil and upheaval in their own mind when truth from God's Word comes to them. And many times they say, well, I just don't feel that that's right. I just don't think. Well, I know of an experience and constantly they're just in an upheaval. And I said, Lord, how do we approach this thing? How do we cause men and women to see that it isn't what we think or what we feel or what we smell or what we see or what we taste? It's what does the Word of God say? Now, that, that had to come into my spirit when I was shown of the Lord the, the, the message on marriage, divorce, and remarriage. It was a devastating thing for me. I had to go through this whole thing of, but Lord, I know of this thing, and I know of this situation, I know of that situation, and I know these people, what about that problem? And God had to filter all that through my mind until finally I had to come to say, I believe God. This is what the Word says. I believe God. Now, I want you to understand that when I say that, I went through a struggle. I went through turmoil. I went through fasting and prayer. I went through searching the Word. I went through searching my heart. I began to look around and I tried to look at circumstances and I had to come back to the Word. But God has shown me something through this that makes me to realize what He's trying to show to the body today. The title of this series, I'm going to call it Renewing the Mind. Turn with me to Philippians, the fourth chapter and the eighth verse, because it's going to be a portion of Scripture we're going to turn to time and time again. Philippians, Philippians, the fourth chapter. Now, I want you to know, and we're going to be talking about it more later, God never asks us to do natural things. For example, he says, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. And some people say, well, yes, that's a wonderful standard, that's a wonderful principle. But, you know, it isn't always, God didn't say that we should, if we can, or if we're capable of it. He tells us a spiritual, scriptural standard. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. I liked what Ed said this morning during Sunday school. In case there's a couple of you that weren't here then. He said that, talking about wondrous things, every work that God does is a wondrous work. Now, whether you like that work or not, whether it appeals to you or not, whether it really grinds and chews you up a little bit or not, doesn't make any difference. It's a wondrous work, and we should praise the Lord for it. You say, oh, brother, if you knew what I've had to go through. Yes, I know. Those are the wondrous works of God to accomplish His purpose. That's why in the Old Testament, He talked about the, the, the potter and the clay. You have never seen a beautiful work of art on the wheel that's come off the wheel yet, but what that clay had to go through pressure and forming and changing. And if it didn't do exactly what the potter thought it should, he put it back on the old table and he began to pound on it again and work on it again and then mash it down a little bit again and put it back on the wheel and start all over again. And we come and see a beautiful work of art and we say, isn't that just beautiful? And we fail to see that it could not have been possible had not the potter done a devastating work on that clay. But it was a wondrous work. And all the workings of God are wondrous works. If that be so, in the depths of the lion's den, or in the belly of the whale at the bottom of the ocean, or wherever we might be, the Word says rejoice, and again I say rejoice. Now that must become the attitude of our heart based upon our feelings now. Let me tell you, there's sometimes when I wake up in the morning, the last thing in the world I think about or want to think about is rejoicing. Saturday morning, for example. 
I, I almost said, which way is up? But while my head was still turning on the pillow and I was trying to open my eyes, I began to just in my spirit, bless the Lord, O oh my soul. I will sing unto the Lord. And the body said, oh no, go back to sleep. And I said, this is the day that the Lord has made. I'm going to rejoice and be glad. And it wasn't a natural thing to do. I didn't want to do it. First of all, I wanted to get up and read the obituary column, make sure I wasn't dead. Then I wanted to go back to bed again. That's the way I felt. Now, I'm giving you this as a premise, as a beginning, as a foundation to think upon. When God said rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice, it just isn't a natural thing. But you know, when we don't do it, we're actually in disobedience to God. When we begin to grumble and gripe and complain and moan and groan, that's in disobedience to God. That's rebellion to God. He said rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. And when you get up, that's rebellion, isn't it? Hello, isn't that rebellion? All right. He didn't say, if you want to. You say, well, this, I'm a spiritual baby. He didn't say, if you're not a spiritual baby, then rejoice in the Lord. He said, rejoice in the Lord always. Now, I'm trying to lay this difficult thought on you in order to begin to bring you into an understanding of what I'm trying to say. Again, I'm going to try to tell you what I'm going to say, then I'm going to tell you, I say it, and then I'm going to tell you what I told you, see? That's the way, that's a principle of learning. All right. Verse 5. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for Ah, that's not natural, is it? Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with grumbling. Thanksgiving, oh, okay. But in most everything with... No, no. You see, I, what I'm... God lays some hard things on us, and when we don't do them, we're in rebellion to them. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving... I don't feel like it. God said, I don't care what you feel like. Yeah, but I, if things were different, it doesn't make any difference. I said with thanksgiving, rejoice. Yeah, but if you had this, rejoice. All the works of God are wondrous works. How's this last week going? They're playing for the boys and girls upstairs that you aren't hearing angels music. The Lord isn't coming right now. Prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known unto God and the peace of God which passes all understanding shall keep your heart and minds through Christ Jesus. Now, if you rejoice always in the Lord, do all things with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, then the peace of God will keep you. Some people say, oh, everybody talks about peace. Well, I just don't have peace, all right. Then we have to go back and say, why don't I have peace? Because I'm not doing what the Word of God tells me to do to have peace. Is that right? I said this statement some years ago. God hasn't let me forget it. God's promises are absolute. When we fulfill his requirements, he's duty-bound to fulfill his promises. Did you hear me? When you and I are willing to fulfill the requirements, what are the requirements here? Rejoice always in the Lord. Oh, yeah, but I just lost my job and my car went to pieces and my kid just tore off his last pair of soles off the last pair of shoes and I just got a runner in the last pair of hose I had and everything's gone wrong. Somebody came and stole the guns out of my house and I can't go hunting this year. Whatever it is. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. All things by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving and then the peace of God is out. I didn't think about that until I got halfway out that Art happened to have some guns stolen. But I think that it was even Art himself said at first there was a turmoil inside. And then he suddenly sat back and said, God, you're speaking to me through this thing. You've got something to show me through this. And the peace came into his heart. Why? All of a sudden he came back and put everything in his proper perspective. All the works of God are wondrous. 
All the works of God are good. All the works of God are for a purpose. All things work together for good to them that love God, for those who are the called according to His purpose. God, I don't see the good in this thing, but I thank you for it. And the peace of God that passes reasoning and understanding and human knowledge became His. See? If you will put into action the commandments or the requirements in God's Word, God is duty-bound to fulfill His Word. Finally, the verse 8, Finally, brethren, as a last conclusion, let me establish this in your mind, in other words. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Now, let's turn to Romans, the 12th chapter. You can't talk about the renewing of the mind without getting into Romans 12, 1 and 2. It's awfully hard to read Romans 12, 1 without reading chapter 11, 2. For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. Now, because of this, Paul says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Get that? Be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. I want to say it again. Be ye transformed. What does transforming mean? Be changed. Be changed. How? By the renewing of your mind that ye may prove that that which is of God is good and acceptable and perfect. Web translation on those last words. This is my hand. I can say to this hand, close, and it closes. I can say open, and it opens. I can say point, and it points. I can say fist, and it doubles up. I can say hit, and it hits. This is my hand. You know something? I've never had this hand run off and do something I didn't tell it to do that I know of. Once in a while, when I wasn't aware of it, it would jam a fingernail against the door or something, but I, afterwards I certainly took care of it. But that is my hand, and I can tell that hand what to do, and it always... Anybody... You know, I've never walked up and just had my hand come up and go like that to me. Never yet. It does exactly what I tell it to do. If I itch, it scratches. If I hurt, it rubs. This is my hand. This is my eye. I tell it to close, open, close, open, close. When I was up in Indiana, recently in Kokomo, Indiana, I was talking to my little niece, Carrie Beth, and, and her mother said, wink at Uncle Joe. And she went... Now, those were her eyes. She told him close. And I said, oh, but watch, do this. Just one eye. She hadn't learned how to do it yet, but she was starting to tell her eyes one at a time and train her eye to do what she told us to do. I can remember there was a time I couldn't wink with both eyes. But after practicing, see, when I was in high school, I wanted to learn how to wink at the girls with both eyes one at a time. I thought that was a real accomplishment. I worked on my eyes, and I said, this muscle, this muscle, this muscle, this muscle. And I got a place where I could do it pretty proficiently, see? That's my eyes. Now listen, Satan has fooled the church. This is my mind. You listening? This is my mind. And Satan comes along and says, all my life of these 30 or 40 years, 40-some years now, he has told me what to think. He's shown me what to think. He's told me what I can think and what I can't think. He's dumped garbage into my mind all these years to the place where I just think no matter what he says, that's it. Now, we're going to talk about this through this whole message. I want you to understand that God says, this is my mind. 
And if I'm going to have a renewing of the mind, I have to come to understand that's my hand. It does what I tell it to do. This is my mind. I'll think the thoughts that God chose me to think, always consistent with his word. Now, one of the greatest struggles you and I are going to have is learning how to get our minds after all those years of brainwashing by Satan to come to the place where we quit going by our feelings, what we smell and taste and feel and, and, and hear and, and so forth. We're going to have to eliminate those aspects and come back to the Word of God. Satan has always, in the past, had us operate as unsaved people, operate on the basis of what I think, smell, taste, feel, or whatever excites me, whatever feels good. Do it. And then, of course, he's come in to steal and to kill and to destroy. He comes and tells you, you're, you're unworthy. I'm unworthy. You see? Automatically, our mind. You're lonely. I'm lonely. I'm afraid. I'm afraid. Fear. Ooh. And our mind, just Satan just drives it into us. See, that's, he knows exactly where to get us. I quit this, too. It's my eyes. I told him, cut that out now. You see? But there's an awful lot of things that I've had up here time after time, year after year, 20 and 30 years, that I've never gotten rid of because I didn't understand this principle. That's my mind. People say, I can't help thinking about that. Oh, yes, we can. And that's what I want us to see. That's my mind. And I'm a believer. I'm not a doubter. And Jesus has set my mind free and I will think on the things that I want to think about and I decide, I have decided to think those things that are consistent with God's Word. What's that? We just read it. Philippians 4, 8. Whatsoever things are true, you shouldn't have any trouble with it. Whatsoever things are true, honest, just, Pure, lovely, good report. If there be any virtue and there be any praise, think on these things. Now, you shouldn't have any trouble with that. I can be walking down the street and all of a sudden a wrong thought will come into my mind. Bing! I reject that thought in the name of Jesus. I don't have to think that thought because it's not just, lovely, pure, holy, of good report. No, thank you. Glory to God, I can't tell you the thrill that's come into my life these past weeks since I've begun to understand this principle. I've seen people during deliverance and after deliverance that still go around and they still believe the lies of the devil. You're unworthy. You just haven't got any value whatsoever. You ought to go and kill yourself. You ought to do this. It's time for them to come and say, wait a minute, this is my mind. I've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. I'll think those things that God's Word tells me to think about and I'll refuse to do it. My hand doesn't slap people anymore. My eye doesn't wink at people anymore. I don't spit on people anymore. My body will come into subjection in the name of Jesus. It's God's Word that I'm going to obey. Hello? I believe with all my heart, when we begin to understand this truth and this principle, we're going to see victory in the lives of a lot of Christians. Now again, I say, the natural man is spiritually dead. The Word of God tells us that he cannot comprehend, he cannot receive the things of God. Before I was saved, when anybody would try to talk to me about things of God, it was Greek. I wasn't alive. I was spiritually dead. Therefore, I couldn't. Everything I did had to be upon the basis of the five senses. But when I became saved, when I would receive Christ into my heart, I began to say, now, God, why did you save me? Why did you create me? What am I doing here? What do you want out of my life? Where do you want me to go? And I began to seek spiritual understanding. Now, when I began to search God's Word, I began to see that the only purpose that I have in life is to worship and to praise and bring glory and honor and pleasure to God. That's my total purpose in life. Well, your total purpose is to support your family and your total purpose is to, to preach the gospel and your total purpose. No, no, no. My total purpose in life, these other things will be inculcated or in, uh, interspersed into that purpose of life that I have. 
if in supporting my family it brings glory to God, I support my family. In as much as it, it brings glory to God when I preach, I preach the gospel. But the purpose that you and I have for even living is to bring pleasure and honor and glory to Jesus Christ. Amen? Let me just read some verses to you. Revelation, the fourth chapter and the eleventh verse. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. God created us. He created us for one purpose, for His pleasure. Lord, what's Your pleasure? Lord, if it's all the same to You, I'd rather not do that, but that doesn't make any difference. Lord, if that brings pleasure to You, glory to God, show me what to do. Lord, if You want me to clean out septic tanks, if You want me to scrape down buildings, if You want me to shovel dirt, if You want me... To Anything you want me to do, Lord, just show me and I'll do it because I, I want to bring pleasure to you. How can I bring honor to you? A lot of people would be glad to be Billy Graham. Lord, I'll be Billy Graham for, the, for your glory, you know. Whose glory? Charles Simpson one time, God, he said, God send revival. God says, is it all right with you if I send it to another group over here? And he said, then I began to wonder what my motive for revival really was, eh? For His pleasure, His glory. Romans eleven thirty six. 36. For of Him and through Him and to Him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. That's our whole purpose for living. Can I just interject this? There's three ways you and I can bring glory and honor and pleasure to God. And many times Satan will get us off in one area and we'll just capitalize on that one area, just major in that one area and everything else goes down the drain. The first way is... In our daily lives, dying daily, being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. We can call that, if you would like the theological term, progressive sanctification. Where day by day you begin to see the old flesh and the old scales fall off. You know, some people get their head in heaven, but the rest of their body is still on earth. Some people get their arm in heaven and the rest of their body is still on earth. Trying to satisfy their old ways and talk their old ways and think their old ways and act their old ways. But they haven't been sanctified. It is in order to bring honor and glory and pleasure to God. The Word says that we're to be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. We're to recognize that when He died on the cross, we died also. Now when we live, Jesus Christ is to live His life out through us. It's not us anymore. That was the purpose of us claiming His death in our behalf. The old man is dead. Now we've raised up in newness of life in Christ Jesus. It should be Christ's life flowing out through us. May I use a simple term that doesn't cover it all but says a lot? To where everything we do and say, we say, would Jesus want this done through my life? Lord Jesus, you're living your life out through me. Is this going to bring pleasure and honor and glory to you? Would you do this, Lord, if it were you? Would you say these things? Would you act this way? The second way is, first of all, being conformed to Christ. Second is to grow in your love for fellow believers. We get rid of this idea of me, I, myself, you know, the first person all the time. And we begin to live in a relationship of what can I do? How can, Lord, how can you use me to minister to other people in the body? Now, we, you've been talking about this evidently on Wednesday nights. That's vitally important. There are a lot of people that go deeper and deeper and deeper until they finally get so deep they're muddy. And all they're thinking about is me growing, me growing, and they forget all about loving the brethren, being in unity one with another. They forget all about being concerned about the needs and the problems and the weaknesses of other people. But Jesus said, I have one desire, and that is you all are one, that you love one another, even as I have loved you. Now, if we're going to bring glory and honor and pleasure to the Lord, we've got to quit saying, well, they're Baptist, they're Methodist, they're Presbyterian, they're Pentecostal. They're... We're one in Jesus Christ if we've been born of the Spirit of God. 
There has to be that unity. Now third, there has to be the sharing of God's message to the lost. Now again, there are a lot of people that go to so deep they're muddy or they get so much into sloppy agape, all they can think of is love at any cost. They'll love anybody or anything no matter what it is, even if it means compromise. I do not believe that we love to compromise. We can't compromise the Word. We can love a person even if they're a sinner. We'll love them with all our heart. We love them for Christ's sake and try to win them to Christ. If we see a brother that's in error, we love them and we try to bring them into a place of obedience to God's Word and understanding of God's Word. But these three areas are so essential for us. First of all, that we allow Christ to be formed in our lives. Second, that we begin to manifest that love of Christ to others round about us to where they see Jesus in us by our very actions. Third, that we have a deep burden and concern for the lost. If you and I can go through the day without being concerned for the lost, then we need to have another working of the Spirit of God in our lives. We've got to come out of the bless me camp and we have to begin to say, Lord, make me a blessing. That's how we're going to bring honor and glory and praise and pleasure to God. Now, here's where the problem comes in. There are a lot of people who try to do these very things I'm talking about now. They try to grow. They try to love others. They try to witness to others. And they can't understand why they're constantly in defeat. Always having difficulties. Always having problems. And they get frustrated where they just don't know how to go on in the things of Christ. And many times they get discouraged and they get away from the Lord. I've just established a foundation for you to think upon. God has created us for His honor and His glory. Tonight, I want to go in to how God has shown me these frustrations are caused and how we can find healing in these frustrations. Renewing of our minds. I trust that you'll be praying. I'm so excited I can hardly wait to hear what God has to say tonight. I mean that because this has been exciting to me. It's just been incubating and turning over and over. I roll around in bed thinking about this and while I'm driving, when I'm working and everywhere I've been going these past weeks, it's just been incubating in here and it's exciting to me because God has shown me something that has worked in my own life. And I think that once we grasp this truth, it's going to change our lives, our personal lives, our private lives, as well as our public lives. If we understand that first principle is we only have one purpose in life as Christians. That is to bring honor and glory and praise and pleasure to God. Now, I know a lot of people who go out here and do all these things to try to do that very thing. But inside, they're having difficulty because they aren't able to accomplish it in their own mind. God help us tonight to see how, by the Spirit of God, according to the Word of God, we can be renewed in our mind. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank You for the Word. Oh, how precious it is, Lord. We, we just thank You that we weren't born in a nation where the Word of God was never heard. We know that we didn't choose You. God knows we didn't choose You, Father. We, we, you know that You chose us and You ordained us. You called us with a purpose. And that purpose is to bring honor and glory and majesty and pleasure to You. But Lord, You know how constantly we find defeat because we believe the lies of Satan. In the name of Jesus, we're confessing that we're going to see release and victory and freedom. We're going to see renewal. We're going to see a breaking loose, Father, in the lives of many believers and greater heights of victory for them. We love you today. And thank you, Lord, for the privilege of ours to be able not only to have the Word, but to be able to share it and understand it and to grow therein and thereby. Minister to our spirits, Father, and bring us back tonight 
hungrily desirous of knowing what your word says so that we can walk in the light as you're in the light and have fellowship with you. In Jesus' name we ask it and for his sake. Amen. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Probably won't get too far into it tonight because I still want to talk to you about the aspect that we were getting into this morning when I shared with you the fact that the only purpose a believer has in this world is to bring honor and glory and praise and pleasure to God. And that all the works of God are wondrous. Therefore, we're to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, he says rejoice. To be and careful for nothing but in all things by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Make our request known unto God. When we do it, then the peace of God that passes all understanding becomes ours. When we fulfill that obligation to come to the place where we're neutral as far as circumstances are concerned, but positive concerning the fact that we know God loves us and that all things work together for good to them that love God. Now, I stated this morning that many Christians realize this and understand this, but come into a, a, a sense of guilt and frustration and disappointment because they can't seem to get into that position. They can't seem to come to that position of constantly praising the Lord. Many, many times I have to confess that this is exactly what's happened to me, and I didn't understand why. And I'm sure there's some aspects of it that I still don't understand, but I have had my eyes open to some new truths that have helped me tremendously. And I am coming, I am moving in this truth that God has given to me. I find that sometimes when I'm very, very tired, all of a sudden my mind will just kind of, I let down a little bit, and suddenly I have to stop again and say, no, my mind will think what God's Word thinks. My mind will meditate upon the Word of God. Because I said to you this morning, this is my hand. And I told you, Brother Albert Willis has a series of messages on this very subject that was a real challenge to me and a blessing to me. And this is the illustration he gave you. So this is my hand. It does what I tell it to do and what I tell it not to do. And these are my eyes. They do what I tell them to do and what I tell them not to do. And this is my mind. I will tell them what to do. But you see, the reason this has to become a progressive thing, and that's the most important thing to tell you right now, because some people feel that when a preacher preaches a certain subject, it means that right now he's to be all of those things. Well, I've been walking in the way now for 20-some years, and I will assure you I have not arrived yet. Not as though I have already arrived, but I'm pressing toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus, and I'm going to keep on fighting, and I'm going to keep on pushing, and I'm going to keep on moving ahead for God. I'm not going to get discouraged. Now, I want to say that first off the bat, because I, I don't want anyone going out here saying, oh, it's all hopeless, everybody else is perfect, and I'm not perfect. No, that's not what we're saying. We're giving you a biblical principle upon which to begin to operate now. I don't remember who it was. Somebody just recently was saying on the radio program, he said, now, don't get all excited about this faith problem. He said, I can believe God for $40,000 a week now, or $50,000 a week, or $100,000 a week, whatever it was. He said, but I can remember when I used to have to try to believe God for a pair of shoes. Now, you hear what I'm saying? When I get into this subject now, I don't want you to suddenly think that you're supposed to suddenly be able to jump out and believe God for a, a cruiser. Are all your bills paid and $2 million in your account by next week? And if it doesn't happen, it doesn't work. You're coming into a position of biblical understanding of another biblical principle to begin to act upon. And if you'll grow in grace and in the knowledge that you receive and begin to try to put it into action and to apply it, you'll begin to see the fruit come from it. 
You understand what I'm saying? Now, again, the reason I'm saying this is because all these years, some of you probably weren't saved until you were 20 or 30 years of age. All right? Satan had all those years to program you. Like a computer, he pushes a button, an automatic reaction comes up. See, he worked on you and he had no one fighting against him. The word of God says the flesh lusteth against the what? And the spirit against the, the two are contrary, the one to the other. In all those years, you walked in the flesh, you responded to the flesh, whatever the flesh told you to do, that's what you did. You didn't know of any other way to do it. Your spirit was dead, your soul was alive, and you were looking for some source of information. So through your intellect and your sensibility, based upon what you felt and thought, you responded and reacted. You had no input from the Spirit of God yet, and the world around you was at an enmity with God, and you had no concept of living any other way. So Satan had all those years to program your brain. Now that's why Paul says that you need to have a renewing or reprogramming of your mind. Now that doesn't happen overnight. Now let me tell you something though right now. Listen to me. You have to want to have your mind reprogrammed. You hear me? God is not going to grab you by the nap of the neck and make you reprogram your mind. You're going to have to come place and say, God has made a provision for me. I will have it at any cost. The Word says the natural man cannot comprehend the things of God. When you begin to talk to a sinner about the things of God, about the things of faith, about miracles, his brain goes tilt, will not compute. Now, I can still remember before I was a Christian, my sister came to me and started telling me how she prayed for this and this and this and the other thing happened. And I thought, weird. What is wrong with her? Something has slipped. She has thrown a cog. That isn't right. What is she talking about? Praying and answers to prayer. It would not compute at all. I can remember seeing others saying, my sister got healed. I thought, psychotic problems, you know. What was wrong? Satan had programmed my mind where every time I heard that, to the word says, their foolishness to it. The natural man cannot comprehend the things of God. They're foolishness to him. Absolutely foolishness to him. And until the Spirit of God can come to that man or comes to that man and begins to enlighten his understanding, quicken his spirit, put a hunger in his spirit and soul to have these things as a reality, you cannot get through to him. You can draw it in red, white, blue, and green ink, lay it in front of him and put it in Braille so he can feel it and he still can't comprehend it. You see what I mean? Why? His mind has been programmed to this earth. It's an enmity with God. Now, after a person comes to Christ, I remember how I used to just avoid those people who said they were Christians. My mind just didn't want to be around them at all because it troubled me. They talked about things I didn't have in my computer back. You remember when Art Mitchell had the computer down here and he said, uh, Jeffrey, push, what was it, agent number 58, whatever it was. Jeff went, and that quick on the screen it says, no such agent. Will not compute. Can't give you any answer there. It's not in this machine, see? That's exactly what was happening in my life when everybody talked to me about faith. But one night when I went to a service there in Fremont, Nebraska, and the Word of God was preached, all of a sudden the Spirit of God opened my eyes of my understanding and I began to see I'm lost. I didn't see that before. I couldn't even comprehend that before. Someone would tell me, are you lost? I'd say, no, I'm right here on the street corner of... Silver Lake Road and Country Club Road. I'm not lost. No comprehension. My mind had been programmed. 
But suddenly I, I was aware of the fact that I was lost. I thought, my God, I'm going to hell. Why? Because God imputed a new understanding, a new knowledge, a new truth into me from a totally different dimension than I'd ever had before. And believe you me, it threw my computer all out of kilter. The things that I thought were fun and the things that I thought were life and the things that I thought were really exciting all of a sudden looked terrible to me. Now what happened? Did they change? Did the nature of them change? No. Suddenly a new source or a new dimension of truth came into my mind and into my heart. And I saw things as God saw them, a totally new dimension. And once I was saved, Paul began to speak to me because I read the New Testament. Of course, I read these verses that didn't have the meaning to me they do now. But it said, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I started reading the scriptures and all of a sudden I found a totally new source of information coming in. Not from my senses out here. Not from just experience out here. Not just what I thought out here, but a totally new divine source of knowledge coming into my computer bank. And I was having to come to my old programming and say, uh-uh, kick that one out. No, got to change. Remember how Art came in here and said, okay, now let's change this. And he changed something so the prices were all different. He says, now reprogram, now push that button, Jeff. And bing, they all came up with a different price. See, he had to reprogram that part of his computer. Now, what I'm saying to you is that when a person comes to Jesus Christ, it is a continuous, perpetual reprogramming of our minds. But we have to begin to understand how God is trying to work with us in order to work with Him. Before, all of our knowledge was from beneath. Now it comes from above. If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are what? Above, where quiet Christ dwells. I used to go around like old Solomon. All things under the sun, vanity of vanities, all is vanity under the sun. And then all of a sudden my eyes were open and I saw things in a different perspective. Truth from above. The Word says men love darkness rather than the light because their deeds are evil and will not come to the light. You see, my source of knowledge before was darkness and suddenly it became light. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He that follows me shall walk in the light. Someone says he's the source of new life, the course of new life, and the force of new life. Jesus Christ, walking now in a new concept, in light. I can remember when I used to hear people talk about Jesus Christ, I'd try to get away from them. I'd want to get into the dark. And after I was saved, every time those church doors opened, I'd try to knock the doors down if I could get in. I, I'd just do anything to get to church. If my car broke down, I'd call someone or I'd walk. I had to get to church. I wanted that new truth. And where I used to live by lies, conceived by my own mind. And you know, you and I can justify anything we want to justify. All things are, what, right in a man's own eyes, aren't they? And that's what Jesus said, and that's what Solomon said. Any man can justify his own ways, and that's just exactly what we do in the world. Well, I did that because, but when the truth comes, when the truth of God's Word comes to us, we begin to have to throw out all those old arguments and say, I am guilty. Now, we could become saved. First of all, I had to have a total change in my mind when I came to Jesus Christ. God had to change my whole outlook on life. Then, after I became a Christian, I told you that the philosophy of the world is get all you can, can all you get, sit on the lid and poison the rest. And I come into church and what does a preacher start talking about? Tired. Tithe, what's that? Tithes and offerings. Oh, I know what an offering is. I've seen those before. Tithes and... That means that you're not your own. And what you have is not your own. And all of a sudden, you know, that went into my computer bank and tilt, tilt, tilt. Uh-oh, they want money. Why do they want money? The preacher must want money, huh? The old computer bank, the old unrenewed mind. And I had to go to the Word of God and say, what are they trying to feed me now? What is this? And I started studying God's Word and I saw that it was in the Word. 
And there was another computer bank tilt. It wouldn't work, so I had to say, that computer bank's got to go. And I had to throw out that programming and begin to align it with the Word of God. All the way through our life, the computer starts changing. Mind, you're going to be reprogrammed there from now on. Anger and revenge and violence are not to be in my life. I coming through? Do you hear what I'm saying? It's a slow process. Then, you know, I went to Bible college, and, and I had always heard the world says, live, live it up, you know, have a lot of life, really let go, and really enjoy life. And I got to school, and they got into the chapel, and these speakers started coming, and they said, you need to die. I thought, oh, come on now. I just thought I got life, and now you're telling me I'm supposed to die. You've got to be kidding me. And that's all they talked about, dying, dying to self. The old man's got to die, got to be buried. And I thought, now this is ridiculous. Jesus came that I might have life, and now they're telling me to die. So I went back to the Word, and Romans 6 tells me, buried with Christ, raised up a newness of life in Jesus Christ. It's no longer what I want to do, it's what does Jesus Christ want me to do. The old nature has to die. You see, it's nothing natural. It's always the opposite of the natural whenever God wants to do something in your life. Well, you see, he began to change all those things, and I began to grow in the Lord, and I went out in the ministry, and I had a wonderful time winning others to Jesus Christ. And then all of a sudden, God said, it's time to start working on your memory bank, on your computer bank again. I had a little Bible study going, a very nice one, while I was pastoring here in this church over on Longwood Markham Road, and a little red-headed lady came into the church one night, into the meeting one night, and she had one leg three inches shorter than the other, and one arm three inches shorter than the other arm because she was in an accident and crushed this whole side of her body. And she came and she enjoyed the Bible study and was praising the Lord and talking about some other things that she had gotten into. And I didn't understand it all completely. You know, I'd heard of it before. But she didn't come the next week. And at the end of that Bible study, she called the hostess and she said, Oh, I've got to tell you what happened. I went over to this Bible study and prayer meeting and fellowship group tonight and they prayed for me. And do you know something? I can't wear my shoes home. The Lord healed me. My right leg grew three inches. My right arm grew three inches. And she turned around and told me, I started home and said, now, wait a minute, God, I don't know what's going on around here. I've shared this with some of you. I don't know what's going on around here, but you told me that I could have everything, and I told you I wanted everything you had for me. Why couldn't she get healed last week here? And God began to deal with me. God began to show me that I may have known what it was to have the fullness of the Holy Spirit, but I didn't know what it was to have the baptism of the Holy Spirit in my life. When I had the fullness of the Spirit in my life, I had boldness in my life and able to witness to other people about Jesus Christ and I was able to preach, but I didn't see the miracles and the gifts of the Spirit manifested in my life, which is evidenced when a person receives the baptism in the Holy Spirit. God begins to give them the faith to have the miracles take place that took place in the book of Acts. So I began to seek God's face on that and all of a sudden He told me that he shared with me, well, let me put it this way. One night as I was praying, he just suddenly caused me to begin to pray like I had never prayed before, and I rebuked it. See that old computer bank? All the way through, we just, I, I, I don't know. Have you, I, you've never probably worked on a farm, most of you, but I used to work on a farm, and we'd get a hold of a little calf and try to bring a calf through a gate. I thought calves had 84 legs whenever we'd do that. Because we'd get a hold of them and try to be pulling them through the gate and all four legs would be digging like this backwards, all the way back. And I'd just be pulling and pulling and they'd be throwing dirt all over me. And when I looked at that, I began to think, you know, that must be the way God sees me. Every truth that he brings to me, I'm just like an old calf digging backwards, not wanting to get into what he's trying to show me. But he brought me into a time of quietness before him one night and I began to pray in the spirit. Pray with my spirit. And I stopped and I rebuked it and said, in Jesus' name, I rebuke that. After all, what can a Baptist preacher do with that kind of a thing? You know, that can mess a man up. Computer belt went, tilt. 
I said, no way. Uh-uh. I wouldn't tell Beverly. I wouldn't tell the kids. I didn't tell anyone. I got into the Word. I said, okay, God, if you're going to lay that on me, you show me why. And I'm not going to get into it tonight, but I just simply want you to know that God showed me why I needed that. Paul said that I needed it because he that prayeth in an unknown tongue edifieth himself, charges his own battery, causes him to be built up in his spirit. But there it was. Tilt, my mind went. God's constantly fighting with that old computerized program, and I, he's trying to renew my mind. And you know, once that happened, of course, and some people found out that I had received that, then they said, let's go, Brother Joe, we're on our way. And I thought, oh, well, on our way? I thought we were there. I got it. I got it. Glory to God, I hadn't even gotten through the door. Next thing I found out, you're supposed to raise your hands. You ever had to see a Baptist try to raise his hand? Mm, I had blessings running off my elbows for how long? Two years? That's all, you know, this is it. And it was a strain to get my hands up. And, I, you know, again, when I'm preaching, I, I say, well, I don't care what you do, and I don't care how you do it. I'm not going to do anything unless the Word of God says it. So I looked all through the New Testament, and I saw where it said, praise the Lord and rejoice. But finally, one day God showed me, it says, lifting up holy hands in prayer to the Lord. Lifting up holy hands in praise to the Lord. You see? It's in the Word. It's in the Word. If you and I are going to have our computer bank changed, it better be in accordance with God's Word. Then, of course, the next thing is, you know, by some of you, of course, if you're just visiting here, you couldn't imagine it, but you can't... Well, no, you can't imagine how hard it was for me to clap. Now, I'm trying to show you that my computer was well-programmed. You don't do that. When you come to church, you check in your emotions at the door. You sit down and try not to make too much noise or disrupt anybody too much and go as quietly as you can through the whole thing pay for that service, and then you go out, collect your emotions, and go out and have a nervous breakdown. That's all I'd ever know. But clap in church? And then I see the verse that says, clap your hands, O you people. Shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Don't shout in church. You don't do that. You see what I'm talking about? How we are programmed by Satan and by the world. And the only way God's going to break down that programming of our minds is not by what we experience out here, but, but what does the Word of God say? And if I am going to be in obedience to God, I've got to obey the Word. Some people say, Brother Webb, that's not reverent. What's that Canadian's name? Ern Baxter. I heard a tape by him one time. He said, if God tells me to stand on my head and I don't stand on my head, but I sit quietly, I'm not being reverent because I'm not obeying God. If God tells me to jump up and down before Him and shout and wave my arms and I simply stand like this in front of God, I'm not being reverent. Being quiet is not being reverent. The Word says the dead praise not God. Being reverent means being obedient to God. Now let me tell you, it's not part of my nature to be effervescent and demonstrative in my worship. I am having a fantastic struggle in my mind when I'm in my private time of devotion and praise to the Lord to get myself free from the old now I lay me down to sleep idea and to begin to enjoy myself before the Lord. The old computer bank is there and I'm having to ask the Lord to renew my mind, reprogram my mind. I thought I'd arrived, you know. But we're talking about obedience to bring glory and honor and praise and pleasure to the Lord. And if I don't obey Him, I'm not bringing honor and glory and pleasure to Him. I'm still getting tilted on one aspect of it, but the Lord's helped me with it a little bit. It says, dance before the Lord. 
And some of you know, when we first came into this experience, how Brother Pete Gabo stood up over in the other church, right about over there, and stood up with his T-shirt on and his walking shorts and thongs on, and he said, praise God, now we can dance before the Lord. And my mind went, tilt! And my reaction to Pete, I said, Brother Pete, we've got to learn how to sit and then stand and then walk and then run before we ever think about dancing. What was I saying? My computer's tilted. It won't compute that yet, say. But you know, it's in the Word of God. It says that we're to dance before the Lord. David danced before the Lord. See, what I'm talking to you about, I'm going through. God's dealing with me on this thing, see. He's still working on this computer bank of mine. And I know there's some people saying, I've gone this far, but I'm not going any further. Then, brother, you're getting out of obedience to the Lord and you're in rebellion to God. You're forbidding God to renew your mind in accordance with His Word. Isn't that true? Now, some of you know where I've come from and I've got a long ways to go, but I look back and I realize God's brought me a long ways. Brother Webb, that's not Baptist. Well, glory to God. I don't know they're going to be Baptist in heaven. I don't see it in the Word. Nor Methodists, nor Presbyterians, nor Episcopalians, nor anyone else. It's the redeemed of the Lord. And he says that if we love him, we'll obey him, and we'll keep his commandments. And rejoice in the Lord always. Then my computer bank got jilted again. We had a dear sister in this church who continuously had fainting spells. And we prayed enough for her and anointed her with oil enough that she could have slid out under those doors out there. Without opening them, I think. And nothing happened. I kept saying, God, you said in your word, you healed, you said in your word, why not? It happened one night, God said, that's not physical, that's demonic. Oh, tilt, tilt, tilt. Demonic. Oh, now we're getting into that rabbit area. We're getting into that fanatic area. And I went over and said, my dear sister, I want to share something with you now. I'm just as upset over this as you'll probably be, but God told me this is not a physical need in your life, it's a demonic need in your life. And I, I don't know where to go from here, but... That's what God said. Now you see it tilted my computer bank, but I know, I know that God's Word talks about the deliverance ministry. Everything that's in orange in the Gospels that I've marked in orange is concerning demonic deliverance in the New Testament. Some people have gone through the whole New Testament. They don't even know it's there, but when they start hearing preaching on it, they go back and they say, what's well, it? That night in the name of Jesus, we took authority over that problem this young lady had had, and she had it from the time she was in junior high school. No warning. That quick, she'd be on her face on the floor. Gone to the hospital, every test, everything that they could do. They said, well, we don't know what it is, but take this medicine, it might help, and it didn't. That night, that young lady, while we stood there, my wife and family and brother Jerry and Carol Sapp were there, and one other young man were there. That night, that young lady was set free totally, three and a half years ago or more. She's never had one fainting spell since then. She's never taken one bit of medication since then. And glory to God, that was the beginning of a whole new experience in this church life. If the Son therefore shall set you free, you should be free indeed. Some people say that's fanaticism. That's the Word of God. And I wouldn't preach if it wasn't in the Word of God. And I searched the Word to find out if it was true. And Jesus said the things that I do, greater things than these shall ye also do who believe in me and follow after me. Now, some people say, I don't believe in tongues, I don't believe in deliverance, I don't believe in this. That's all right. It won't bother you a bit. It says, these signs shall follow them that believe. And if you don't believe it, they won't follow you. Don't worry about it. They'll never come close to you. But I believe them because I found them to be true in the Word of God. And God's still working on my computer bank. And even though I've always believed in healings, 
But when God told me one night that he wanted to heal a young lady in our church who had osteoarthritis, my computer bank went tilt again. And God began to deal with me on it. Don't you believe the word? Well, yes, I believe the word. Of course I do. Well, then I want to heal her. I went to her and my heart was jumping up and down because I was afraid she was going to say, go ahead and pray for me, Pastor. She said, well, I really had to pray about that. And I said, do, do, you know, great. Go ahead and pray for a long time. Leave my computer bank alone. I don't want to get that upset for right now. And so it was a couple of weeks, I think, two or three weeks later, we went into a meeting and that night God again said to me, I want to heal that girl. And so I went to her and I said, God said he wants to heal you tonight. She says, I'm ready. And let me tell you, I can't tell you how the old computer was going up here. Oh boy, now you're going to get into a mess. You're going to lay hands on her and nothing's going to happen. And then you're really going to be in a mess. And she's going to just know that you haven't got that kind of a gift at all. And all that old computer was there going just whiz, 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 bang. And finally I said, in the name of Jesus, he's told me to do it. It's not my responsibility. I'm going to be obedient to the word of God. And we anointed her with oil and prayed for her. That was on a Monday night and she began to feel heat going through her body. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday morning, I think it quit. But she got up the next morning not having been able to sleep. I think it's at past 7 o'clock in the morning. But the next morning at 8.15, she awakened with no pain in her body whatsoever. No bursitis, no arthritis. And that was the beginning again of another series of miracles in this body. My mind can't compute that. I mean, there's no way that I can naturally say that by my laying hands on a person in the name of Jesus, that power is going to flow through that body. That isn't normal. That isn't natural. But it's what the Word says. It's what the Word of God says. And it doesn't make any difference what I feel or smell or taste or hear or see. It's what the Word says, and I've got to act on the Word. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. I would not have attempted it could I not have grounded it in the Word of God. See how God has to take all the old stuff that Satan has placed there and has been trying to replace it? Again, I say it's hard because it's not natural, but it's a supernatural thing. Turn with me for just a moment to Luke, the first chapter. I want to show you what I'm talking about. Luke chapter 1, beginning with verse 26. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God into a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail thou that art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. What does he mean, I'm highly favored? Well, I'm just a common working girl. Nothing unusual about me. I didn't win any beauty contest last year, but I'm highly... What's he talking about? And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and shalt bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus." He shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord of God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. Mary said, that's cool. <laughs> Is that what she said? Mary said, tilt. Then said Mary unto the angel, how shall this be, seeing I know not a man? She wasn't ignorant. She knew the laws of genetics and natural reproduction. She said, now... I think you probably have gotten the wrong address. There's a lot of Marys here in Nazareth. See, I'm still not married. I don't know any man whatsoever. She knew how reproduction took place. Her mind went totally into tilt because God had brought a new thing to pass. 
Now, just exactly like all these other things I've been telling you happened in my life, made my mind go tilt, he came to Mary, and she said, How shall this be? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. And Mary said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord. There is no possible way that this could happen to me, so forget it. Is that what she said? What does it say? Now, stop a minute, think about it. Think about it for a minute. I hope that Spirit of God will put this into your heart. Mary had to, by blind faith, go against everything she could ever naturally, physically know. There is no possible way what you're telling me could be true. Tilt will not compute. But now, faith steps forth. And listen to what she says. Be it unto me according to thy word. Deliverance. Healing, praying in the Spirit, singing in the Spirit, dancing before the Lord. Tilt! Lord, be it unto me according to your word. It doesn't make any difference what I think or feel. If that's what your word says, I must obey. Hello? Am I right? I'm trying to establish something in your heart. God doesn't do it the natural way. Think of Gideon. God goes over into this old granary, and here's Gideon, crouched down in the corner of this old granary, trying to be as quiet as he can, picking up the few little kernels of grain that he had there for fear the enemy would come and take it away from him. And instead of throwing it up in the air outside for the wind to blow the chaff away, he was going, get a few grains and pour them in his pocket and scratch around it and get a few more. And in the midst of it, all alone, very quiet, suddenly appears an angel behold behind him and says, Behold, thou mighty man of valor. And after he took a couple of nerve pills to quiet down again, God says, I've called you. The angel says, God wants you to go and fight this battle. Call the men for battle and he's going to give you the victory. He says, boy, there's a lot more people around here better than me. I'm nobody. I'm nothing. The angel could have said, you're right. That's what God usually works with, nothing. If he works with anything else, they, they take the credit for it. He says, now call all the men together. Gideon says, boy, I should be able to get a good army then. And if God's going to help me, well, we ought to be able to do something. He calls them together and 36,000 men appear. Remember? And he says, 36,000 against 260-some thousand others. <laughs> well, Lord, I sure hope you're on my side, and I hope you're really ready to go, because it's, the odds are not too good. God says, you're right, they're not too good. He says, you've got too many men here. Now, get yourself now in Gideon's position. Here, you're so afraid that the soldiers are going to come and take a little bit of grain away from you. You were terrified at the enemy, and now God says, bring 36,000 men together. You got them together, so you've got too many. He says, now I want you to stand up in front of them and tell all of them that are afraid to go home. So he got up and he took a positive mental attitude and he said, I'm so glad to see all you valiant soldiers, you mighty men of God, you powerful men, you fighting men, you're like a machine, you're like deers and antelope, no fear whatsoever in your heart. I'm so thankful to have all of you here. And I just want you to know if there's one or two of you here that's a little bit afraid, I know none of you are, but if you are, if you feel a little fear about this thing, why, uh, go ahead and leave. The rest of us are ready to go. You go ahead and leave. And thought, glory to God, I hope not a one of them turns around. And 23,000 turned around and went home. <laughs> Hello? <laughs> Lord, where are you? And he said, Lord, now what am I going to do? Oh, God says things are looking great. He said, we still have too many, though. 
You've got to be kidding. He said, no, he said, I want you to take them all down to the creek now and let them drink. I want you to watch them closely. And every one of them that puts their face down in the water rather than pick it up like this and watch as they're drinking, being on the guard, every one of them that stick their face down in the water to drink, send them home. Can you imagine the feeling that he had? Send them home, look how few I've got. Make a long story short, only 300 of them crouched down and picked up the water in their hand and drank it. 300 of them against 260 some thousand enemy. All equipped with chariots and horses and spears and swords and bows and arrows and all the warfare. And they had hardly a tool to fight with. He says, all the rest of you guys go home except few 300. He said, glory to God. I imagine the first thing he said, now when we get into battle, don't take any prisoners. <laughs> That's probably the first command. You see, everything he did was against what the human mind can conceive of. But God was getting ready to do it his way. And the word tells me that when the night came, Gideon already had a comfort and assurance from the Lord he's going to have the victory. And each man took his pitcher and his trumpet and stood in his place. He didn't fight. He didn't struggle. He just obeyed God. And they blew the trumpets and shouted out. And broke the pitchers and held the lanterns high. And the other army went into mass confusion and they destroyed one another. Can you imagine what happened to Gideon's computer bank that night? Total tilt. I'll give you another illustration. Jesus was walking with his disciples, and as he would be sitting and teaching them, as he'd be walking with them in the way, he kept saying, I'm going to die. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be buried, and then I'm going to raise from the dead again. Now, I must go to Jerusalem because I'm going to have to die there, and I'm going to be buried, and I'm going to rise again from the dead. I'm going to die. They are going to crucify me. It's necessary for me to go to Jerusalem because I'm going to be crucified. He said it over and over and over again. And all the time he was saying that, the disciples' computer banks would not compute that. They said an earthly kingdom. Glory to God. This is the promised Messiah. This is that king of kings that's going to rule the world with a rod of iron. I wonder what position I'm going to have. Lord, can I sit on the right hand and my brother sit on the left hand? Lord, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God? We're going to rule and reign with you. We're really going to put these Gentile dogs in their place. And he says, I'm going to die. I'm going to, I'm going to be buried. I'm going to rise again, though. Could not compute. The word tells me after Jesus died that on the road to Emmaus, a stranger walked up to some of the disciples. And as they were walking along, they made a statement. They said, we had hoped... We had hoped, past tense, we had hoped that he was the one. We had hoped, oh, hope is gone. Where were they? Jesus kept saying, I'm going to die. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to die. The time is necessary. The Son of Man came into this world to die. We had hoped that he was the one. Luke, the 24th chapter. Luke 24, verse 44. Hey, I want you to see how, it's, how easy it is. To hear truth, and 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 never, never have it compute. Because our computer bank is set up to where it can't receive it. Verse 44, And when Jesus later appeared to them in Jerusalem in a closed room, the disciples were there because they were fearful. The doors were locked, the windows were locked, and suddenly Jesus appeared in their midst. Can't you imagine that it disturbed some of their naps? I mean, if all of a sudden, here he is in the front of us, that probably unsettled their computer bank a little bit too right then. But the word says, And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was still with you. They didn't compute, in other words. I said these things to you. 
that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Then what? Opened he their understanding that they might understand the Scriptures. Now, after the fact, he said, now, let me work on those computer banks. I said this and you didn't get it. It didn't compute. Let me say it to you now. And now he was before them. They couldn't compute the death and the resurrection, but now suddenly they were able to receive it. They were looking for a king. They were looking for a victory. They were looking for someone to set them free and rule the world. And their computer couldn't be changed. Where have we got banks in our computer that aren't going to be changed? I've actually had people say, I've gone this far and I won't go any further. They will. God doesn't make us do anything. He just makes us willing. <laughs> they didn't know what to do with Isaiah 55. Now, I said that because I've experienced it. If you haven't experienced it yet, oh, you've got an exciting time coming. You think you've gone as far as you're going to go with God? No, you haven't. No, He doesn't make you do anything, but He can sure send in the hornets. And you're very happy to do it. They had never been able to understand Isaiah 55. Surely He had borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem Him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions, He was bruised for our iniquities, and the chastisement of our peace is upon Him, and with His stripes were healed. They couldn't even understand that, conceive it. It would not compute in their mind because it was opposite of what they had put into their mind concerning the Messiah. Isaiah 53, Isaiah 53, 4 through 6. I want to make this statement. When you and I are transformed by the renewing of our mind, now this is an important statement. If you need to write it down, write it down. When we're transformed by the renewing of our minds, it will be impossible for us to be like the world. Did you hear me? When God gets to our computer banks and He starts renewing our minds, it's going to be impossible for us to be like the world. God's not like the world. God's program and purpose is not like the world. His destination is not like the world's destination. When we begin to let God change the programming and renew our minds, we're going to be in a totally different position. The Word says that we're to be holy. Now, if there's areas of our life where we're not holy yet, we're not computing, we won't be able to receive it, when we come to the place where our minds will have been renewed, when we come to the place where we're doing what God tells us to do in the Word, let me tell you something now. The world is going to say you're weird. They're going to say you're crazy. They're going to say we're spooky. They're going to say that we've gone insane, that we're irrational. You hear what I'm saying? When the time comes that we come into total obedience to God's Word... We're going to be weird and spooky and crazy as far as the world is concerned. That's exactly what they said of Jesus. At one time, his family even came around looking for him in hopes they might be able to get him to come back home, you know, and quiet down a little bit because he was just, just going too far. Jesus said, the world's going to hate you. Don't be surprised if the world hates you. They hated me. Do you think they're going to be any different towards you? Don't be surprised when the world persecutes you and says all manner of evil things against you. For my sake. What do they mean? For the Word's sake. But I just want you to know, when we start really letting God renew our minds in alignment with God's Word, people are going to think we're crazy. We have become fanatic. And I'll say it again. A fanatic is someone who loves Jesus just a little bit more than you or I do. You hear that? That's what a fanatic is. Someone who loves Jesus more than you do. Oh, he does thus and such. Well, usually it's because they, they've found something in the Word. Now, I'm not endorsing non-scriptural things. Make it, let me make that clear. When I talk about reprogramming, 
I want to be very careful again to establish something. These areas where God has reprogrammed my computer bank, I have confirmed them in the Word that it's true. And Satan would love to come along when you get, begin to go in that direction and pull you off way out onto some limb to let the world say, see there, that's of the devil. And in many cases that's true. But if we can say no, thus saith the Word of God. Heaven and earth will pass away, but His Word will never pass away and we'll be judged by the Word, not by what people think or what people say. It's the Word and we've got to get programmed to the Word. Be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove that that which is of God is good and acceptable and perfect. Amen. Is God then working on your computer bank? You always having truths come to you that says, will not compute? Go to the Word. Get into the Word. What does the Word say? Let me assure you, although God has dragged me with all 18 legs going like this to stop me from going forward, He's dragged me through all these experiences. Where I am now, I would not go back for anything. I thank God for every truth He's brought me into, but I keep thinking, why am I so bullheaded and stubborn? Why do I just keep going like that old calf, kicking back when God says, come on, I've got some bigger, greener pastures for you. I thank God for every one of those doors He's brought me through, kicking, squalling, screaming, rolling, tugging, everything else. But He's trying to conform me into the image of Christ and He's trying to bring me into a place of obedience. And if I walk in the Spirit, I'll not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. But in most cases, I found out just like before I was saved, I didn't want anything to do with that. It's because the devil had programmed my mind to say, ah, that's foolishness. But I found out it wasn't. And every other thing that God's brought to me from His Word, I thought, no, that's not for me. Maybe some of you still remember me telling you that'll be the day when you see me doing thus and such. Well, that day's coming. Glory to God, it's coming. I may be kicking and squalling and twisting and turning and digging my heels and everything else, but it's coming. Glory to God, I don't care. If the Word says it, I'll do it and praise God. Well, I can hardly wait. I want to go on and preach, but I'm not going to. I'm going to quit tonight. Praise the Lord. Father, thank you for your Word. Cause us to begin to really think on those verses in Romans, Father, where it says that we're not to be conformed, but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And to really get the depth of meaning out of that that will cause our lives to be totally different. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the, for the, the fact that your word is absolutely true and it doesn't make any difference whether we like it, think, of, think it's right or anything. It's true. And you said we'd know the truth. And it'd be the truth that'd make us free. Lord, I know that I'm still bound up in many areas because I've not allowed the Word to set me free yet. And I ask for your forgiveness. I don't mean to be in rebellion. But I ask you to be patient with me, Lord, and bring me into a place of total obedience to the Word of God day by day. I just want to confess to you that I'm willing to be made willing. And I'm willing to be shown from your Word. And then I'm willing to have you do whatever you need to do to bring me into that place of obedience. Will you make a confession with me tonight? I want you to say, My mind is my mind. I'm a believer. I'm not a doubter. My life belongs to Jesus Christ. And because my mind is my mind, I will think God's Word. I will reject that which is not God's Word. I submit my mind to the Holy Spirit to open my mind to those truths to which I've been programmed to be closed. I will think God's Word. I will think truth. Satan, 
you're not my Lord, you're not my master, I am no longer your servant. I will no longer respond every time you tell me to. In the name of Jesus, I declare that I've been set free from you. Heavenly Father, I want to be obedient to your word. I want to be set free from the emotional appeal. I want to be able to say, Thus saith the Lord, without apology. In Jesus' name, amen.